This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. You can be seated as you turn today to John chapter 13. Uh, we're going to be uh, looking at the example of Jesus as he was working and really looking at the last days of his ministry. Who could have imagined uh, a year ago all the predictions for what was ahead for 2020? I guarantee you, you can go back to any of the major uh, magazines, any of the major newspapers, and no one uh, guessed or no one would dare to suggest that a global pandemic is what was ahead for the world and what was ahead for America. But yet... The world stopped. The world changed in many ways for us as we moved into March and April and May and even the way we've done our traditions. Who would have imagined a, an Easter without worship services and churches? And who would have imagined Christmas dinners separated from family? Yet all of those things have been a reality for so many of us as we've moved through this year 2020. No one really knowing what was ahead. Well, the passage we're looking at today in John chapter uh, 13 is one of those examples of a passage where Jesus is preparing the disciples. He's preparing them for what's ahead. He is helping them understand that the days ahead will not be necessarily what they think they will be. They are in this upper room and they are imagining positions of influence. They are imagining all of the tasks that they will carry out as they reign and rule next to the Savior. They have in mind thrones and positions and ruling in the kingdom of God, but yet what is truly ahead is vastly different. What is ahead is denials, crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, service to others in preaching the gospel, and yes, for these disciples suffering and many of them dying a martyr's death. And the one who doesn't die a martyr's death is one who suffered again and again at the hands of those who wanted him to be silenced. The author is almost helping us see the picture of what's taking place as Jesus is walking into this upper room. And as he's walking into the upper room, the author wants us to understand the bigger picture. He wants us to understand what's happening in the life of these disciples. You'll see this example of God's faithfulness. Look in verse 1. He said, Before the festival, pa Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Before the events of the upper room, the author wants us to understand there's a larger picture. That even though Jesus is about to depart, even though he is, he is leaving this earth, he is going to the Father. And notice the statement there, having loved his own who were in the world, it says he loved them to the end. The, the Greek literally has the idea he loved them to his last breath. It's amazing. We, uh, we would almost say he, he loved them with all that he had. And 
many have said, well, is he talking about the cross? Is that a reference to the loving them to the end of his life in the cross? Or is that a moment here and, and, and is he talking about this event? And probably it is the event. It's the idea almost that we use idioms like you see a, 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 a couple who are engaged together and we would say, oh, she loves him. She's she going to love him to death. And so we use that as in the sense of using that idiom to describe the passion that he has for his future wife. And Jesus here, almost the author is saying he's loving them to the end. He's loving them with all that he has. So he's helping us understand the gravity of this moment. It's an action of love. It's an action of humility. But then if you look in verse 3, it says, Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. So Jesus knows he's leaving. And as he's leaving, he knows that there is nothing that the Father has given him that he does not possess. All authority, all the position of king of kings, ruler of the earth, but yet he's, he's added to his deity humanity. He's veiled himself in human flesh and he's fully become man. And as he is preparing to go back, knowing where he has, has been and knowing where he is going, it says he prepares to enter this upper room and to do an act that was unthinkable for someone in his position. The God of the universe would wash feet the rabbi of rabbis the king of kings the messiah would humble himself and do an act like this it seems almost unthinkable but what does jesus have to risk he has everything he doesn't care what others think about him he has no one that he has to impress but Jesus sees these disciples and there is a moment when he hears the dialogue going on in the room and when he notices what's happening, he realizes one more time he must act. So why? Why would he need to do this to his disciples? Well, it's because they were in danger. There was the danger of greatness and Jesus realizes that he has to act. If you go to Luke 22, verse 24, there you'll see it on the screen. It says, Then a dispute arose among them about who should be considered the greatest. Mark 10 tells us about it. Uh, Matthew 20 tells us about it. Luke 22 tells us about it. That there had been a dialogue going on among the disciples. That as the disciples were moving to Jerusalem, after the encounter that Jesus had had with, with the rich young ruler, there came a point where Peter uh, was astonished that this rich man, this ruler of a synagogue, uh, was being told that if he didn't give up everything and give it to the poor, that he wouldn't have the kingdom of God. And, and the disciples really wrestle with that. And Peter at one point says, but, but Father, we've given up everything. What's available to us? And Jesus shares, oh, it's coming. They'll have thrones and you'll rule in the kingdom. And so they take this dialogue that he tells them about, about a future possibility in heaven, a future for them in heaven, and they begin to take it literally. 
We know James and John actually approach Jesus and say, can one of us sit on your right and one of us sit on your left? Even their mother approaches Jesus and asks for these positions. Of course, Jesus says, you don't, you don't know what you're asking for. Can you be baptized with the baptism? Can you drink the cup, which means the cup of suffering? Could you, could you handle the suffering that's about ready to take place? And, and they say, we, yes, yes, we can. One of the gospels says, Jesus looked at them and loved them. Fully unaware of what's about ready to take place, Jesus enters the upper room and he sees two things. Well, he hears one thing and he sees another. He hears this discussion still going on. Luke tells us that this discussion among who is the greatest is still happening in the upper room. And even though Jesus has told them the Son of Man didn't come to serve, uh, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom to others. And he had talked to them about that again and again, but something's still not registering. And they're saying, I, I think I'm going to probably have a better position than you. So Jesus hears that, but then he sees when he looks around the room, every one of the disciples still has their sandals on, and no one has washed feet. Maybe he smells the feet as well. And Jesus realizes that every one of those disciples, when you would come into an ancient Near East home, just like this jar, would be right by the door. And it was a reminder, it would be filled with water, and it was a reminder that as you came in, that someone needs to assume the position of the servant and wash feet. But every one of those disciples said, oh, you know, not me. There's some pretty important things ahead for me. And they walked in, and they were having this discussion. And one by one by one, they had walked by the jug, and no one had paused and stopped to thought about, how can I serve my friends? Because they were too distracted with their own importance. And Jesus realizes he's going back to the Father. Jesus realized that everything has been given to him. And th these are the ones who will take the gospel. They are the ones who will complete the mission, that will begin this mission. And Jesus realizes there's still a lesson to be taught. There's still a lesson to be learned by these disciples. And so it says that Jesus gets up and he takes off his out outer garment. I want you to see these verses. Notice this. So he got up from the supper, laid aside his outer clothing. He took a towel and tied it around himself. And he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and dry them with the towel he tied around him. It says he took off his outer garment. So he's a rabbi. So he would have had a very nice probably dress outfit. This is the Passover. So obviously everyone is dressing up. We would say it in our culture. He took off his coat and he took off his tie. He's the most important person in the room, unquestionably. But it's almost as if the President of the United States at a state dinner gets up and takes off his coat and his tie, and he goes and he serves and ministers to someone in the room. It's that kind of moment where the rabbi takes off his outer garment. He goes, 
he takes a towel. It would probably have been something very similar to this. This towel would have been made, would probably would have been a very ornate kind of towel, and he takes it and he wraps it around his waist. And he tucks it. And he takes a basin, and he takes a pitcher, and he begins to go to the disciples' feet, and in true fashion, he pours the water over their feet. Feet that had been in the dirt, they'd been in the mud, they'd probably been in the sewage in the streets. And he begins to wash their feet. Peter sees this and immediately reacts. Notice what notice Peter's reaction. Says in starting in verse 6, he came to Simon Peter who asked, "Lord, are you going to wash my feet?" Jesus answered, "What I am going to do, you don't realize now, but afterward you will understand." He says, "You will know never wash my feet." And Jesus replied, "If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Now Peter reacts. Peter's maybe the one that says what everyone's thinking is, what is he doing? That's the position of a servant. That's the position of a slave. Many homes that had servants would actually have Gentile slaves for that very purpose. That is the lowest act that could anyone could do in a home was the person who was assigned to wash feet. But yet Jesus begins to act. Peter sees this and he's like, what are you, it's almost like, what are you doing? You're the rabbi. You're the Messiah. You don't wash feet. What are you doing? And Jesus looks at Peter and says, you need to let me do this because there are lessons that you need to learn. Peter thinks he's got it all together. He's already told Jesus several times, I'm going to uh, act. I'm going to be there for you. No matter what's ahead, I will be there. I will strike. I will do whatever it takes. But Jesus knows that in just a few hours, Peter will deny him, not just once, but twice. And on the third time, Peter literally cusses and says, I blankety blank blank don't know him. His level of betrayal is almost to the extent even of Judas. Jesus looks at him and says, Oh, Peter, you've got some lessons to learn about humility. The humility of the cross that's still yet to come. There's a passage in Philippians 2 that says that we should have the attitude of Christ. That Christ, who being in the very form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something that he was showing off, but yet he humbled himself, becoming a man, becoming obedient, even to the point of death, and not just death, but death on a cross. And therefore, God highly, has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that, at the, that every knee would bow on earth and in the earth and under the earth and above the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And yet this man is humbly teaching, Jesus, humbly teaching Peter a lesson that he needs to learn. True fashion, you'll notice in 
6 and 8, um, or excuse me, in verses 9 through 11, Peter says, well, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Uh, and you know, do it all. If you're going to wash me, wash all of me. To which Jesus says, no one who is bathed doesn't need to wash anything except his feet. You're clean, Peter. But then he says, not all of you, because he's making a reference to Judas. And he's making reference to the satanic activity that's happening. In the very moment where the God of the universe is watching feet, Satan is entering the heart of a disciple to betray him. And in what I consider outside the cross of just an incredibly, incredible act of love, Jesus washes the feet of Judas. Imagine that. He'd walked with him. He'd said all the right things. He'd, he'd been a part of the disciples from the beginning. And yet there's this whole movement in, in Judas's life where he's been pushing himself away spiritually and now it's gotten to the point where he is able to be literally filled with satan and darkness and in that moment he's 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 already in process of betraying jesus and yet jesus loves him and washes his feet i'm telling you how long would it take for jesus to judge judas how long would it take for him to speak him out of existence in that moment but get he bows and washes the literal dirt and sewage from his feet in an expression of love. That's amazing. And Peter's worried about, you know, all of this stuff. And, and Jesus says, look, you're fine, Peter. There are other forces at work in this room. Allow me to wash your feet. Peter, I'm sure, would look back on that moment years later and Horror of what, what he said to Jesus. So it says in verse, thir, excuse me, verse 12 through 14 that when Jesus had washed their feet, because he's going to give them an example. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord and you are speaking rightly. This is, this is what I am. But if I, your Lord and teacher, now notice he reversed those. He said teacher and Lord, and this time he says Lord and teacher. If I have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. So the question that he asks, do you know what I've done for you? That's a question of application. It's the lesson that he wants them to learn. So notice this first lesson. It's a, it's a lesson of, of position. He said, if you call me teacher and Lord, in other words, rabbi and Lord, that word Lord could literally be um, translated from the Greek back to the Hebrew, is oftentimes used in the Old Testament as God. So he could literally be saying to them, if you have said to me, teacher and Lord, teacher and God, and I've washed your feet, then you ought to do this to one another. Because if I, and then he reverses it, he literally says, if I, God and teacher, have washed your feet, then you can wash 
one another's feet. I don't care how important we think that our job is or how important that we think our service is. If Jesus can humble himself and do what he's doing in this room, he tells the disciples there's nothing, there's nothing too low for you in service to the kingdom of God. I am amazed at times of the reasons that people say no to certain things that they're asked to do, but our mind should always go back to these types of things. There should be nothing that is out of bounds in service for the kingdom of God. We're talking about Lottie Moon this month and missionaries that go to the ends of the earth and go to places and uh, I remember even this in 2019 being in Uganda and we were there and we were working with these missionaries who had, could have been pastoring and serving on staff and doing all kind of things here in the States. But they had walked away from those positions and they had gone to Africa and they were training these pastors and we were in the middle of the bush on the, the borders of Kenya and Uganda and we're teaching these pastors and trying to teach them out of God's word and many of them are studying and they're learning and they they're looking at these uh, eight Americans going wow th these Americans have come and they've taught us and they have such a rich knowledge of the word of God and I remember being so humbled in that moment thinking oh if you knew the things I struggle with as well and I remember thinking we can't leave like this we can't go and teach and them not see how much we love them. We can't leave this place without them knowing that we have a desire for them to continue the work that we're doing. And we took, I'll never forget it, we took bowls like this and towels like this and pitchers like this and we washed the feet of those pastors. And I just remember being so impacted by that. And saying to them, the work that you have to do is the continuation of the mission. The work that you are doing is so important to the kingdom of God. And God brought us here, but we are not leaving for you to look at any way and be impressed by us. But we want you to know we are merely servants of Christ. And we want you to be servants of Christ. And you have a mission to take place right here in your community. And we wash those feet and I realized in that moment... There was nothing more important that I had done than to tell those men that God loved them and that he knew exactly where they were and he wanted to use them in every way. Folks, that's a mission. The second thing that happens here is Jesus talks to them about attitude. Notice what he says here in verses 15 and 17. For I have given you an example that you, should, that you should do just as I have done for you. Truly, I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master. A messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. For if you know these things, you are blessed. And notice what he says, if you do them. So the second lesson he wants them to learn is the lesson of attitude. That when God does put us in positions, when God does give us the authority when he does give us that we should always keep in mind where that comes from 
Because someone who is a messenger for a king and comes to deliver the message, he realizes the message is not his. The message is the king's. And so he never loses sight that he is there to deliver the message, but he is not the king. He merely carries the message of the king. And a servant who is given responsibility, a servant who is told to go carry these things out under the authority of his master, never has the authority in himself. He realizes that any authority that he carries out is not in himself, it is to the master. And Jesus says those men never lose sight of that when they are given those roles. And he's saying to the disciples, you never lose sight of that as well. And notice, but notice what he says. For I do these things, or excuse me, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Knowledge, heart, and hand. Isn't it amazing that how hard it is to get it from here to here or to get it from here to here? It's a reminder that it's not enough for us just to know that we should do something. But we show that we know it when we do it, when we carry it out. How many times have you hear this phrase, well, I knew what to do, but I just didn't know if it was necessary. Well, then you must have not really known that it was important or necessary because you didn't do it. One of the things that's so important for us is is we can walk away from a passage like this and say, yeah, oh yeah, we should serve others, we should do that. But, but Jesus says the blessing doesn't come in just knowing. The blessing comes in doing. In doing these things. And being willing to serve others. Not worried about position. Not worried about what, what we'll get in return. Not worried about a being acknowledged. But simply to give ourselves to someone else and that be enough. Because we did it for the glory of God. The disciples want to do things because they want to be recognized. Jesus said that's not the mission. The mission is to give yourself to death. Give yourself for the glory of Christ and for the glory of God. You know, as I've read this passage this week and kind of worked through these texts, you know, I've, I've been reminded of, of a lot of things. One of them is sometimes our lack of humility in allowing Jesus to minister to us. Sometimes we're a lot like Peter. You know, no, I'm good. I I know what I'm going to do. I know what is ahead. And sometimes just of our lack of humility to, to get up in the morning and open Scripture and just allow God to speak to us. To give him time to speak, to give time to prayer, to give time to the things that are important to him. But no, the news, the weather, our tasks, the things that we have to do. And so we're awake, we have a cup of coffee, and all of a sudden we are blowing through our day. Full of pride, full of our own wisdom. Because we don't even have the humility to give God time. To speak to us. To pray. To read scripture. 
Jesus said, if you are my disciples, you'll have love one for another. Remember, Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And we want to see God's blessings in our lives. But how can we do that disconnected from the Savior? And then we wonder why we don't see the results. Another thing is, why don't we take time to reflect on our behaviors and our attitudes? Sometimes at the end of the day, we need to think back about some of the things that we said, some of the things that we did, and we need to allow God to be, we need to be humble enough to allow God to speak to those things. Maybe call them sin, what he calls them. Maybe to think through how those actions could have been a better reflection of of who I am as a child of God. But that takes humility. It's amazing that we're more concerned about Facebook updates than heavenly updates. It's just it's amazing. And, I, and that's, I'm guilty of that. So the question ultimately is how will we adjust? And we saw that as a church. We had plans. We had things we were thinking about, things that we were doing, things we were doing in missions. We had done more in missions in the last year and five on, on Four trips, excuse me, five trips on four different continents, and God shut that down. And I remember sitting in my office one day saying, God, what are you doing? And it was almost as if God said, "Um, you have a community all around you that needs to know me. And shifting and working and trying to find ways where we could have a better presence in our community and what we were doing to give back to healthcare workers and the first responders and all of those things, and God totally did a pivot on our ministry. And You know, I look back on 2020, and there were some things God did that I, I needed to hear. He needed to shut me down. I was going in some directions and spinning and working and busy, and, and I needed to be shut down and spend more time abiding and spend more time in Scripture and more time in what the mission is really about. And God showed us, I think, through all of this that we need a better understanding of the mission. And it's very easy for us to look at 2021. There's a vaccine. There are other things that are going on. And it's very easy for us to need to look at those things and say, we may have an idea where we're going, but we really don't. And, and do things really need to go back to the way they were? I don't think they do. I think we need to be focused in better ways on what is the mission? What is our calling? What is God? How does God want us to have a better presence in this community and in this, in this city? And continue being the disciples we need to be. Yes, in our Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But we don't do any of those to the exclusion of the other. But let's face it, sometimes we can focus on the other. And we're not focusing enough on what God's called us to do right here. And we need to remember that. And we need to ask God what our role in that is. And how God wants to use us for his work in the in the the year and years and the decades ahead for his glory for his kingdom let's pray
Lord, thank you for the reminder today of your word, from your word of your calling on our lives. A reminder that we need to serve you and a reminder that we need to humble ourselves and serve one another. And got a reminder that you are the one to whom we have allegiance. You are the one to whom we have become a disciple. You are the one who desires to love us and God challenge us. First in faith. For those in this room that might not know you, that they would trust and believe in you. To humble their hearts and say, God, I need you to repent and to, to know that Christ died for them. And that he rose again and he is in heaven as an advocate. And they need to trust and believe in their heart and to follow you. God, for the disciples, help us to look around and see the one another's how we can serve one another and how we can serve our community. And God, help us to put aside our agendas when they don't glorify you and when they focus on ourselves and our own recognition rather than your kingdom. Or give us wisdom, give us discernment, give us uh, a desire to want to glorify you in this place and in this community and around the world. Lord, we love you. And we ask this prayer in the name of Jesus. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia.